0: What was really weird is that the actual team that I ran started to actually work more effectively, not less.
1: Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algeman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Our show is produced by Algman Business Media, where we make having your own video podcast as easy as joining a video call and sending an email. At Algman Business Media, the stage is yours. Today on Data Leadership Lessons, we welcome Jonathan Varkle. Jonathan is a coach and facilitator who helps leaders and teams move through next-level challenges. He has been leading and building teams since 1998 and coaching leaders and their teams since 2010. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anthony. Nice to be here. So like we do with all our first time guests, why don't you take a moment and just tell the audience a little bit about uh, what you did in your career before you became a coach and and facilitator and how those experiences led you to doing what you do now?
0: Okay, great. So, you know, um, a lot of what I did leading up to this involved a lot of work with data, funnily enough, not in a typical sense. I mean, my first five years out of university, I was a CPA. And I worked with Ernst & Young as an accountant and an auditor, lots of data, lots of work there, fairly basic, um, realized it wasn't the thing I wanted to do. And I did what a lot of um, CPAs here do is you qualify and then you quit. You go on and figure out what the next thing is you want to do. And um, I got involved with um, technology at that time, um, implementing ERP, Enterprise Requirements Planning Systems. Um, pre. 2000 so this was when the y2k business was really hot and everyone was uh, scared that their systems were going to crash and wanted to replace all their disparate systems and put in integrated um, systems with a centralized database and um, my role was to kind of go in and help make that happen um, funnily enough obviously um i seemed to be quite successful at it but Um, what I realized in hindsight was it was something other than the technical capabilities that allowed me to be successful. Um, did that for a while. And, um, and then after that got involved in, um, a startup that was in the automotive sector in the wholesale, um, part of automotive, um, in the used car section of wholesale. So. This is basically the the wholesale market for used vehicles is about three times the size of a new vehicle mm-hmm. um, the new vehicle industry only because I guess a used car sells three times once it's once it's um, not no longer new so sure. it's a, it's a pretty large industry um, typically what used to happen is in that in that industry inventory was sourced and sold through physical auctions where dealers would have to go and buy their cars at physical auctions captive finance companies would have to, um, send their, their vehicles to these physical auctions and people had to congregate around physical auctions to go buy and sell inventory. So we were one of those companies that brought that whole system online across North America. Um. And it was a fascinating journey because we were taking something that was incredibly disparate, lots of different perspectives on whether it was going to work or not, um, lots of resistance in the marketplace because people had made lots of money from actually not having a transparent industry and um, got involved in, in in building that out. And in 2007, we merged with our largest competitor and I found myself sitting as a vice president of operations in this organization and realizing that that's not really what I wanted to be doing. And so I um, gave some thought to what is it that I wanted to do. And I realized that up until then, everything that I had done really involved people. And it wasn't really the technicalities of the work that that had led to my success, but in much, uh, but mo- more about their relationship with their work that I was able to help them with, um, in a sense, um, offer them some clarity around something that w- they were struggling with. And in that, um, allowed us to figure out next steps towards big challenges that we were having, um, no matter what it was so. That's what kind of led me into this journey of, um, of coaching. Funnily enough, um, along the way through the accounting to the technology to the automotive, um, one of the interesting things is that I struggled a lot with, I would say, anxiety-type issues that manifested themselves as, um, firstly, an inner ear disorder, so I would have a tremendous amount of vertigo. And I was told that there wasn't anything that I could do about that. But the attacks of vertigo were were quite intense and they gave me a whole different perspective on how to be in the world when I'm having a vertigo attack because they would last up to two days. And two days of vertigo is like basically a feeling of just that spinning kind of falling feeling that you have nonstop so total constant nausea for for a couple of days and what what had to do was find a way to put myself in a position where i wasn't um spinning or falling and it brought my attention to my body in a way i'd never brought my attention to my body before so that was my like first kind of foray into becoming almost biologically aware of myself in the context of everything that I was doing, because I had to be so acutely aware of the sensations of my body, where my head was tilted, how I was, how, how I was being relative to everything else that was going on. Um, subsequent to that, years later, I ended up having these huge panic attacks that I'd end up in, in the emergency ward. And while i was in the emergency ward every time i'd keep thinking i was having a heart attack and so i had a workup of i can't tell you how many different um, um uh, tests and um scans done just to ascertain that there was absolutely nothing wrong with me and after about a year and a half of this my family physician said to me look I, you know i can maybe give you something for the anxiety but there's really nothing else we can do for you you're in perfectly good health but what that really made me um, wonder was, was there something that I could do? And I did did a little bit of research, and I ended up going to this traditional Chinese medicine guy. And, you know, I, I didn't know anything about this um, TCM, as they call it. And when I went in, the first thing that he did was he checked my pulse. He pushes down on your pulse on your wrist, and he asked me to stick my tongue out, and he looked at it. And he sat there, and he looks at me, and he says to me, you have virtually no yin in your body. And I looked at him and I said, okay, so big deal, like big whoop. What's what's that all about? And he said to me, no, you, what you don't understand is that there are two types of energies that work together to make a healthy individual. One of them is this yin energy and one of them is this yang energy. And you have virtually no yin in your body. And I said to him, okay, so um, how is that a problem? He said to me, well, you're a little bit like, Picture the sun burning out like there's no substance to it at the center. All you see is a faint bit of fire around the outside, but nothing to the center. He said so for example, when I push down on your pulse, I get nothing back. There's no substance to you because yin is the energy of substance and yang's this kind of fiery burn off type of energy that you're that you're operating on. And so your system is very much out of whack. You're not actually in tune with anything and you're burning out really quickly. So I said to him, well, that, that, that sounds about right. Let's kind of fix the situation. Um, and he said to me, well, the first thing you have to understand that is if you don't do anything about it, um, you will, you will um, you'll really kind of start to keep having these anxiety attacks for a while. But after a while, maybe 10 years from now, five years from now, I don't know, you'll start to show signs of some kind of degenerative disease. And the truth is, if someone takes a blood test, there's going to be nothing that's going to show this up in, in any way, but what will start to happen is, and I don't know, he says to me if it's going to be Parkinson's, if it's going to be something else, but you'll start to have some kind of um, issue that's going to show up of being very de- like you're degenerating, you're literally falling apart in some way neurologically. So he got me really scared, and I said to him, Okay, you got my attention. What do I need to do? And he said to me, Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, we have to make sure that your diet is very yin based. In other words, there's certain types of foods that contain the energy of the substantive yin um, um, energy. And then you have to re- remove stimulation from your life that that is overproducing the yang. And then the other thing is you have to start to change the way you're relating in the world. So I said, What do you mean? He said, Well, the way you relate in the world currently is very predominantly Yang, you're like jump to attention really quick, you're highly reactive, when someone will bring you a problem, and you're, you're addressing it, you're quick to try and address it and get it over as quick as possible, you try and march through your to do list really quickly, you're quick to jump to solutions, and so that's a very Yang oriented way of relating what happens if you change the way you're relating and you softened more into your experience and took your time with things and allowed things to almost emerge out of what's there rather than trying to kind of quickly react and, and do things so i thought well this is really cool let me try and do that and so i was running an operation that was insane it it was no wonder it was giving me anxiety it was insane um There were lots of moving parts, um, lots of craziness. People were panicked a lot of the time. Um, We were doing things for the first time many times. Mm -hmm. And and I was having to kind of lead a group of about, I don't know, 60 or 70 people in this kind of environment. And so what I decided to do, and I guess the only reason I decided to do it was because I guess the idea of not dealing with my issue, the fear of getting some kind of degenerative disease, the fear of like these panic attacks keep coming up. Um, I really felt like I needed to do something about it. And so I started to kind of almost tune more into my body and slow down. And literally in the face of all this fear of, oh my God, I gotta get that done really quickly. Or I know I have to give the answer quickly. I really just allowed things to start to happen more organically. What was really weird is that the actual team that I ran started to actually work more effectively, not less. Um, People started to find their own solutions. I didn't have to tell them everything. (laughs) I didn't have to, the burden of having to figure things out and quickly do things kind of dissipated. And I was able to allow things to emerge more naturally. So that started to put me on this path of, Being able to approach issues and challenges from a a different kind of place, and that led to my exploration that in turn ultimately led to the work I do today, in a way, as certainly it's informed me in, in a lot of ways.
1: That's that's an amazing story, and I and I was just thinking, and and I couldn't interrupt you because I wanted to hear more of the story, but I'm like, man, I have bet so many people in the audience uh, for the show are like nodding their heads of like, yeah, that sounds like me, or that's, yeah, I feel very yang based today, and it's it's like I I appreciate too that you entered that with some skepticism, but also heard what. Uh, you know, the, the people said what what, what that uh, Chinese medicine doctor had said is that, you know, it resonated with you and made sense. And that's it's actually with like data leadership lessons. Like it's about coming into it with an open mind and learning and, and, and trying to understand things in, in ways that we don't already understand. And so I can certainly think about times in my own career where you have that team where the pressure is very high and the the amount of things happening are, are tremendous and people are stressed out. And there's this, this fear uh, that kind of permeates throughout that, that team. And it's a difficult situation to manage and it's a a harmful one to the individuals in it. And so to hear that you had that kind of immediate, reaction and and it started to manifest not just only in your own health but in the performance and the kind of morale of your team i find that fascinating like how did you even identify like how did you know like whoa this is like did you have that moment where it was like this is just weird now like this is strange that i'm seeing this what how what was that like can you go into a little more detail
0: sure so i I think it's a it's, it's a weird one because once you start to get a taste of something that actually starts to taste good you just want to keep getting more and more of it um so it's almost like i was going in one direction from this place of real fear that i needed to to capture as much of of something or corral it as quickly as possible and get on to the next thing um that's kind of was the trajectory once I'd had this issue arise where suddenly that wasn't as relevant. It kind of shifted my attention to, well, maybe there's some other piece of this that's more relevant to the equation. And so as I started to to explore engaging with people, um, slowing down, um, taking the information in and giving people more time to consider things... um, I started to enjoy it more. So that was the first thing. And Mm. I started to experience an absence of any kind of real adverse repercussion to doing it, which would Mm. have been the first kind of metric I'd measure is, well, that was nice, Jonathan, that you explored that, but boy, we didn't get anything done or something really bad happened or you lost your job. And the truth is actually nothing adverse happened other than an increase in my level of ease around the work. So that was the first thing is that actually work became easier. Um and so it kind of hooked me into wanting to kind of proceed in that in that way. Um, The other thing that was really super cool is I became aware of myself in ways I'd Mm -hmm. never been aware before. So I could start to tell like, oh wow, there's that impulse that I want to interrupt the person or there's that impulse that I want to kind of jump in or there's that I could start to feel agitative and constricting and tense tense type um, forces playing with my body while mm. I was engaged with people. And that was pretty trippy because all of a sudden that became a bit, bit of a game to start mm. to almost engage myself with the experience rather than just intellectually with the problem as it's being described, whatever that is. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it started to almost feed me fuel me inspire me to want to keep going and th- the benefits start to to be apparent
1: that's fascinating and and so it it continued to build but at at some point it went from you doing this in your old career to eventually finding a new career and a new calling professionally entirely. Can you tell us about that journey and, and how did it, how did this, this, it seems like, Oh, wow, everything is now right on the right track, but it it wasn't. Something else was going to happen. What was that process? How did that, um, how did that lead you to, to what you're doing today? So, so we, um, we merged with our largest
0: competitor and, and once that happened, um, the business as it was when it was organically building things changed and the, and the feeling that I'd gotten out of it wasn't, wasn't the same anymore and I really felt like I needed a change, but I didn't know what to do. Now, the funny thing is, is um, I'd been mentored for many years by the president of the company as we were building it. And one of the things he'd always said to me is from a business perspective, the only thing that really matters is value. You know, if you can see value somewhere then that's that's the first starting point for building a business otherwise why build it so you want to know that that there's really real value and so Mm -hmm. i thought and and once you see it it says that's fine the difficult thing is going to be cultivating that value so that others can see it because at first no one's going to see it and so cultivating value that you know is there in the face of everybody else not seeing it is the most difficult part of building a business but that's really the process Mm -hmm. so i thought to myself well that's what if I looked at myself as a business and thought, well, where's my value? What is it that I can maybe cultivate over time? And I only came up with one thing initially when I started to see it. I thought, well, if I look back at everything I'd ever done, the only value I really had was that when people kind of came into my space, they kind of tended to leave it a little better than when they came in. I thought, well, that's the only value I really bring. Why don't I just kind of cultivate that, um, and see what happens it's gotten good results so far in everything i've Mm -hmm. done what will happen if i just spend time with other people in in a way that i'm learning how to to do that um, at the at this stage in 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 the game this is back in 2009 and so i um i started to just do that i started to engage with different people you know i left where i was and i started to just engage with different folks um and speak to them about their businesses about what they were doing Um, talk to them about the fact that I was exploring this wasn't quite sure if that was going to work but you Mm -hmm. know it was just something I was exploring and over time what started to happen was people would get a sense that I could help them with something either them or the company that they were in and the people that were reporting into them or people that they knew and slowly people would refer me to someone who was having some kind of challenge or issue and they would ask me to kind of spend time with them help them discuss it help them unpack it and i was just in this experimental phase of seeing what i could do to do that and you know looking back 10 years now maybe more since 2010 when i really started doing it so it's like 11 years now um man i'm a very different person doing it now than i was 11 years ago but the 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 journey was really, it was just a sense of like, I wanna find out what what I'm either made of or what my potential is or capacity to do this and how cool would it be if I could do it. I just didn't realize at first how difficult it would be to get people to actually, to say, actually what you do is even relevant to me or I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to articulate what I did um, in a way. Um, What I learned after a little bit of time and people said, oh, well, this thing you're doing is really coaching. Um, it's not like I started out wanting to be a coach and said, well, I'd like to go get certified as a coach. I was kind of, I came at it from a very different angle as this, this kind of almost raw need to, to do what I'd been doing, but in a bigger kind of way.
1: Mm -hmm. I can certainly appreciate that. And, and I, and I think a lot about. Uh, that, that advice you, you relayed around, you know, creating a business. It's about what is your value? What is, the, what is the value that you can really add? And it is a very personal thing. And I find that some of the best businesses that are ever created come from a place where you're not even worried about a business. You're not thinking from a how do I make a business? You're just thinking about how can I do something valuable for people? And then seeing where that goes. And so I, I I hear your story and it's inspiring because I think there's a lot of people out there that have a passion that they may not be pursuing because they can't figure out how to create a business around it. And, and to some extent, I feel like. That may be the wrong way to think about it up front. It's it's first find a way to do it, find a way to help people find. In your case, how do you coach and how do you do something that you had this innate talent for and that you saw manifest in different places that you'd been in your career? How do you do more of that? That's the thing that starts to make you happy. And then you can find a way over time to learn the things that you need to, to turn it into a viable business. But. I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that don't necessarily even want to go quit the day job, but they just want to do something that they love for some percentage of their time in a way that can really impact people. And there's that's something there's something to be said for that as well.
0: Hundred percent. Absolutely. And so what you really it seems like what you're really describing is this this um, almost um, expansion into one's. Way of being in the world. You you you're not just doing what you're doing. You're trying to do a little more, or you, you're expanding more of yourself into the world. Um, you're you're daring to 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 be something more than what what you've been at some point in time. And that doesn't mean you have to quit your job to do that. It doesn't mean anything other than to just explore. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just 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 expand a, a little further.
1: Yeah, and and I think so. I wanted to start with that because to me, that's the most important thing, right? Like that's the thing that should bring you to doing something is that, that kind of calling and, and not to, to steal your term, but the, the, the next level is really understanding. Like there's something more than what I'm doing and I need to find that and I need to do it not to make more money, not to further my career necessarily, but to complete myself as a person or to become a little bit better of a person or more, uh, complete person um than than i am right now i think that's a a great motivator and so i think that like so i just wanted to be very clear that i think is the most important thing however i also want to talk about how you go from being in corporate america you know senior operational vp level role to saying okay it's now time for a new chapter in my career and i'm gonna go all in on myself as an entrepreneur and you do put yourself into a position where you have to create a business model around this. Can you talk about how you found what it is that you've you've done to create your business model, even and and maybe a little bit about what your business model actually is and kind of how you Found that, and how quickly you were able to to identify it and and get to something that would you know last. I mean, ten years plus, eleven years is is a an achievement for any entrepreneur to be able to do this. Can you tell us about some of that journey uh, that that you've had since leaving kind of that corporate world?
0: Yeah, I'd say the the it's a weird thing is is what starts us on the road to where we're going isn't necessarily the truth of anything, but it's the it's the Tasty treat that kind of gets you started in that direction. And, and for me, that was this sense of there, there must be more. So I, I was in my like early 40s. I just maybe turned 40 or 41 at the time. And um, I remember thinking if the rest of my life, if I, I remember feeling like I'm not standing on the top of a mountain at 40. I feel like I'm on the top of a hill. I've like, climbed this, this high. I'm looking out. And I could see the next 40 years kind of like in front of me. And I felt, well, if the next 40 years end up being like this and I end up feeling like the way I feel right now, that'll be a problem. Mm -hmm. Because in as much as it looks like I've achieved, I don't feel like I've achieved anything because the way I'm feeling doesn't feel really good at all. Like there was something about the way I felt that was driving me to kind of look for something more and I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a real interesting starting point for me because it meant this isn't about finding a career or a job or a business as much as it's more finding myself in some ways and a deeper deeper level and so that was a bit of a um an eye opener because all of a sudden everything was fair game in a sense because I, i started to find myself questioning everything like why like Literally everything that I had almost built up um, as a structure around my life, I kind of started to dismantle a little bit because I needed to get to what was underneath it. What's the foundation to myself? If the foundation at the bottom is is kind of giving off this... REVERBERATION OF I DON'T FEEL REALLY GOOD ABOUT THIS THING WELL LET ME START TO TAKE THINGS APART AND SEE IF I TAKE ONE PIECE OUT WHAT'S HAPPENED WELL IT'S STILL THERE WELL LET ME TAKE ANOTHER PIECE OUT WELL IT'S STILL THERE AND SO AS UM I START TO LOOK AT MY LIFE AND EXPLORE A LITTLE BIT MORE UM FIRST OF ALL I ENDED UP WITH NO JOB FOR STARTERS BECAUSE I DIDN'T WANT TO WORK HERE SO I FOUND MYSELF UNEMPLOYED UM AS I started TO EXPLORE THIS FURTHER MY MARRIAGE FELL APART SO I FOUND MYSELF WITHOUT um a, a wife um we have two wonderful boys but at the end of the day our our, our marriage fell apart um, I found myself no longer owning this wonderful home that we we owned I was kind of by myself in this little rental place sitting there not having a career not really knowing what I wanted to do it was almost like this tracking backwards into facing all my deepest fears which is what had led me to kind of travel outwards in the first place was this fear of failure and now i'm kind of facing failure at every single step of the way almost back into really feeling it for the first time um so so the first starting point was well, i need to kind of get fulfilled or happy or find my way but what it actually led me into was this journey into a bit of a hellish um space for a while or place Mm -hmm. for a while which was facing all my demons and fears around what it is that I, um, around, around my relationship with myself in the world. Now, what was fascinating is because I had all this time to do it, i got to sit on a couch for a fair amount of time and actually experience what that was like because it's not an intellectual experience i mean sure intellectually people can think about you know you lose your wife you lose your your um your your house you lose your job you lose all these things but the truth is there's all this experience of it actually that's happening and then all the narratives that i'm telling myself while this is all happening and i'm and i've got nowhere else to be so i can kind of watch this whole thing play itself out and start to put the pieces of my how i relate in the world together and i start to be able to see that how my emotions are connected to my thoughts that's connected to the sensations in my body and how all this stuff fits together and then what happened was i started to engage with other people around in this coaching area and they started to describe things to me And while they're describing it to me, I'm still very much embedded in this connecting to myself physically. And so I'm starting to kind of almost physically play with the information they're giving me, relate to them, and explore in a very different kind of way. Because it's not like they're giving me an intellectual problem and I'm trying to help them solve it. They're giving me an intellectual problem. And I'm grappling to be here right now just as a person. So I'm trying to integrate grappling to be here while meeting Um, them with what they're going through and it was incredibly informative in a way that you can't quite describe to people because my my brain if i look back on it was trying to synthesize so much information and integrate it all into um to relating in a different kind of way and i found that um an incredibly um, torturous process but it gave me insights and perspectives on my condition i don't know the general human condition but certainly my condition and it led me to start to see if that was applicable to all these other people that were bringing me all their issues and i started to see commonalities and all of a sudden a body of work started to emerge in the context of wow i can see the patterns to when people are up against it and are being challenged it's the same stuff people we're just scared to face ourselves in the context of a challenge so next level up challenges what they bring up Is this huge fear of I'm not going to be good enough to, to do that. I'm going to have to really push harder or uh, I want to, it's almost like this, this orientation to, to, um, to, to get away from ourselves in order to achieve something. And then when we achieve it, we can then go, okay, now I can bring that in and I can add it to my badges of honor in a way that could kind of make me feel better or good about things. But, being able to go into a challenge that's really when we're up against it and expand our thinking in a way where we're settling into the experience to see what else is here to kind of in a more holistic complete way address a bigger problem at a strategic level that was something people really struggled with and i started to become more adept at helping them do that just because by virtue of the fact that i'd gone through this huge struggle
1: yeah, and so I, I think this, this brings us to kind of what had originally brought us together to do this show, which was the, um, you know, you have a, a, a significant amount of data experience in, in what you do, and, and you look at how data plays a role in, in what people are doing. Can you talk about some of the things that tie data into the work that you do as a coach and facilitator?
0: So, so everyone comes to me with a problem framed up in a particular kind of way. That doesn't matter what it is. It, may, it makes no difference. And, and, and that problem is framed up with data. The thing mm-hmm. is, is most of what people don't realize is that there are two pieces to the information that they're giving me. There's, you'd call it the raw data that they're giving me, but there's also what I'd call this a whole lot of charge or, or. Mm-hmm biological charge information that's coming with that and when you mix that biological charge information along with the raw data you create a fair amount of noise and it's hard to parse out what's actually relevant and what's not and so most of the work i do is in is in being with the information that they're giving me To parse out the charge from the relevant data in that particular situation so that people can actually find the truth of the situation because when we're, um, when we're supercharged by something or, or struggling, struggling with it, our, our systems are going to be, um, are going to be, um, operating in a way that, um, it denies reality so Mm. what happens is is when people are up against it with a challenge the way they're viewing things is very narrow and so all the things that are actually relevant can't be seen because the emotional charge that they're experiencing is kind of forcing them to look at something in a very narrow fashion and so the the work i do is really engaging with people to examine the information that's there in a way that makes it tolerable for them to view things beyond where they're at Um, so so it could be as simple as um, someone having an issue around delegating i mean Mm. it's not like they haven't been told 20 times they should delegate it's not like they um they don't know they should delegate um but there's something that is stopping them from doing it Chances are it's they're scared to, but that's not something that that comes up. And, and, and even if they're scared to, what does that mean for them in terms of um, learning how to or what to do? And so the when we tell people how to do something when they're not capable of doing it in that moment, the information is just lost on them. And so the the work is in coming to a relationship with data where they can actually see it. Because most of the time they're not able to. And so a lot of the time I, I find um, in conversations with people, they often come to a moment where they go, huh, people have been telling me this for years. I've only just gotten it now. Because it's, it's finally they're actually getting the data because before the information was very noisy and they couldn't hmm. see it. So that's really the 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 essence of of what I do is help them see something that they're just they're just not able to see given the relationship that they have with the issue itself.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with that because it's it's it, people are inherently subjective. They're inherently emotional, and nothing is more important to any individual but themselves, right? Like they they are very tied to everything that's going on for them because that's them, right? And so. It becomes very difficult to, without help, get an objective perspective on it all, um, and and really understand beyond the emotion, beyond how it feels at that time, and realize in in, in a greater context what what it is. And I, I had this realization not too long ago, where I'm like, there are years of my life where if you said what happened when you were 33. I would struggle to tell you what happened when I was 33 years old. Now I could tell you with great detail, some things, if I knew that that happened when I was 33 years old, I could probably give you a bunch of of those details, but what I, what, why that meant so much to me in understanding this is like, what can feel so big and so stressful in a given moment, you may forget an entire year of context without a, you know, breadcrumbs to get you back into that moment. So, Relax and recognize that that story happens over a much larger period than how you are feeling today. Though, that said, with the day-to-day grind in some cases can feel overwhelming. If you look at the progress that you make, even over a month or two, you can make incredible strides, even though every day feels kind of like it felt yesterday. And so that's also a fascinating thing to think about. And I think that, you know, having someone who can help play back these kinds of ways of thinking and using the techniques that I'm sure that you have to give people ways of of thinking about topics that are very familiar to them. It's not like you're going to tell them a new piece of data that they didn't already have. But what you're going to do is you're going to remove some of the noise that normally is all that they focus on or, or much of what they see. And be able to dig into that next level of information underneath it all to, to get to whatever they need to do next. And, and so that's where I keep coming back to this next level and trying to understand how that pertains. I didn't even do it on purpose that time. It just kind of came out of my mouth. And I'm like, but that's, that's it, right? Like, that's exactly what what you end up doing to help these folks.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting process because ultimately I don't have any answers for them. the information's all there already, or at least the the real information in terms of the actual data that they need is all all there already. And they're kind of a little in the way. And the challenge actually is in uh, helping them find a way to open up to what's actually here. And in many cases, uh, it's mostly about um, being able to be almost biologically tolerant of the person that I'm with. I'll I'll explain what I mean by that is typically when someone comes to us with a problem and they're concerned about it in some way, and this happens at subtle levels, not at gross levels. So they don't have to be flailing their arms about. They just have to say to you, you know, this is a really big problem. It's a really difficult thing. All of a sudden our system starts to almost sympathetically join in with theirs at Mm. some level. Now it works in the reverse. So if I don't sympathetically join in with them, but I'm really with them, but not in the same way that they're with themselves, what happens is they can anchor into my presence with them in a way that then makes them feel a lot safer with their issue. So it's a really challenging piece because I don't have the answers. I don't know it's going to be okay. And yet biologically, I'm operating in a way as if that is the case. And so then what happens is they can almost settle in and have someone there who can then intellectually work through the issues logically, because that's my my background, I can totally do that, mm-hmm. um, but also be there in an emotionally validating kind of way um, that allows them to feel really safe to to proceed to unpack things and explore things. people would say, well, how is that relevant for for a hard-driving executive who is a type A personality? Why why would you need to make something safe for them when they have kind of are hard-driving? What people don't realize is that the thing that they want, more than anything else, is behind the door they fear the most at some level, or at the very least, it's where they're up against something. And for them to expand into the next level of where they're looking to go they need someone to be able to meet them where they're at fully, as opposed to be a yes person or, a, um, or, or someone who's just gonna be compliant or someone who's gonna challenge them, but someone who's just gonna be with them and really question and understand what they're going through because they're really there with them every step of the way is a very, um, it's a very safe feeling. And all of a sudden it gives people um, an opportunity to expand their um their lens a little and see the information in a completely different different way
1: yeah i i I think a lot about psychological safety as kind of one of those key things in building teams and and managing you know teams and organizations that's really important to to have in your team it's one of the most important things to have as an employee to be productive is is that psychological safety that that knowledge that you can make a mistake and it can be okay and the people around you will 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 support you and and be able to um you'll be resilient with you and I think too as I've as I've gotten further in my career and had uh, higher and higher level positions and and have, and have colleagues that in, in similar roles and and even higher it you realize like there's no point on that ladder where somebody has it all figured out. And if they do, they really don't. Uh, nobody has it all figured out. And the fears that you have don't go away just because you've moved up the organizational hierarchy. Um, it The stress can often increase because you want to be there to provide the psychological safety for your teams and the people underneath you. Sometimes it feels like there's no one there to provide it for you. And so I could totally understand how CEOs would be like, I'm the one everyone relies on yet I feel like I'm a paper tiger and even though I have the big title and I have the big salary and, and but it there that fear is still there we're still all human and and even though I think we have a tendency to kind of People on pedestals as if they are something beyond human, whether it's technology executives. I think Steve Jobs is a great example of that he was he was seen as almost beyond being just a mortal. But at the end of the day, he was just a person, too. You know, and, and that's true of everyone. And so it's it's not unreasonable, I think, for anyone to realize that it's facing those fears and and is, is part, of hu- part of the human condition, right? This is something that we all have to know and explore. And just because outwardly we may seem to have it all figured out, I think on the inside, a lot of folks, you know, struggle with that and, and don't know what to do. So what I would ask you, because I'm sure not everyone out there will be able to hire you as a coach or hire a coach of, of any kind, but... Are there techniques, or are there things that people can be doing on their own to start to, you know, to at least pull at the thread of some of the things that we've talked about today, and and to start, um, you know, becoming more connected, like you talked about earlier on, connected to yourself and your body, and, and 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 your mind, and in what's going on around you, and what you've done in your career to find themselves, you know, on a path to, to a better place. Well, I'd say there's the first thing you can do. It's an interesting practice is to,
0: I'd call it, um, becoming a little bit more aware of your own system, your own body. And I'll tell you why, Um, when you're engaging on a day-to-day basis in any driving your car or grocery shopping, or just at work doing something, crunching numbers on a spreadsheet, working with a team, doesn't really matter, Um, If you notice during that, at some point in time, there is some agitation or some constriction or some tension in your body, actually, even euphoria and disassociation, but let's just leave it as agitation, constriction and tension. If if you just notice there's some agitation, some constriction and some tension in your body, it's pretty much a guarantee. That at that point in time, if you look around and you see there's no actual physical danger in this moment. In other words, there's no one coming at you with a gun or a knife. There's there's no lions or tigers trying to run at you. That physical danger in that moment, there isn't any. If you look around and there is zero of that. Um, and I'm talking about even if someone is giving you a terminal diagnosis for your own biology that says you're going to die in 30 days that's still in that moment it's not a life threatening moment like there's nothing happening Mm. to you physically so if you're experiencing some form of agitation constriction and tension and in this moment your life is not being threatened then at some level you have an erroneous perspective of reality like at some level and the reason is is because agitation constriction and tension are being produced by your sympathetic nervous system in response to the idea that something physically is actually um, at you. You're, you're at physical risk. Your life is physically at risk, and this can happen in gross ways where you feel real constriction, or in subtle ways you can start to feel your hands a little tense. Um, you're feeling mine a little bit agitated. It doesn't matter how much agitated or how little, if there is any, it's an indication that there's an erroneous perception. So what's really cool about this is all of a sudden, if you can recognize that, the first thing it does is it creates an opening to be able to look at what's here through a different lens. It's to be able to say, well, at some level, I have an erroneous perception of reality. I don't know what it is. I don't know where the error is. I don't know how I'm misperceiving it, but I am. I can just sit with that and actually relax into reality right now, because my misperception is at some level, something's threatening and I have to say something quicker or ruminate on the thing I'm ruminating on or respond in a way that's typical how I always respond. But if we don't, and we just acknowledge that, that slight opening gives us a chance, a little chance to see something we couldn't have seen before. And if we do, and we engage with it, What that does is it opens up a path that we wouldn't have taken before. And then all of a sudden it opens us up to something that we wouldn't have gone down. And as we start to go down, a whole new set of things start to unfold for us. And so that starts to then give us confidence that we can play in a way we never played before. But Mm -hmm. the starting point is to recognize that there's this erroneous perception that's taking place as a result of being in tune with your body that's telling you, hmm. You know, we seem to think that when we're tense, it's an indication from our brain to double down on whatever it is I'm thinking, and I've got to fight harder and work harder when the truth is, it's actually the reverse. It's a call from the body to say, whoa, 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 actually stop. We think it's actually a signal to say, continue. So that's that's the first thing that people can can start to do is become more a little tuned in to incorporate more of their body or their biology into the experience of what they're doing um, because it has relevant information to share with us.
1: That's, that's amazing. I've never heard that before, and I am going to start thinking about that myself. And, yeah, I, that's that's fantastic. So, Jonathan, we are super out of time. I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's a fascinating departure from our normal content on data leadership lessons but i hope for all of you out there it's been a worthwhile one and at least like so many of our our episodes you know gets you thinking about something in a different way than maybe you thought about it before And, and i'd like to think that that uh we were successful with that in this episode so jonathan again thank you for for being on the show today thanks anthony thanks for having me and you'll find uh, information and and links on how to contact Jonathan in the show notes. And thank you all for for watching or listening today. Dive deeper with my book at dataleadershipbook.com and use promo code AlgmanDL at the the Dataversity Online Training Center for 20% off your first purchase. Please remember to follow Data Leadership Lessons on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review and help others find us. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact.